0: at orderct.com slash easter24. We know
1: that we should love our neighbor, but we have this picture of who our neighbor is and what our neighbor should be. And we constantly sometimes think literally my neighbor when, <laughs> yeah. when you know, neighbor looks very different. Canada is our neighbor. Mexico is our neighbor. Like, you know, so when we start talking about just who is your neighbor, and and if we start looking at people through the lens of they are created through the image of God, that is God's creation. And the same journey that you've been on of of human brokenness, you know, and depravity, that's the, the same journey everyone else is on. But for the grace of God, that you're not maybe still there or in that mindset.
0: Welcome back to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, a podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com, designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Latasha Morrison, who is a passionate follower of Jesus. She has written a profound study called Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. It has recently become a New York Times bestseller. She has been awarded a merit for Christian living and discipleship from Christianity today for this book. She is known as a bridge builder. She is so passionate about racial reconciliation, and she has equipped more than a thousand groups in five different countries and is the founder and president of Be the Bridge, which is an organization committed to educating people and organizations about how to respond to racial tension in the world well. She has served in ministry roles for churches in Georgia and Texas. And today, I've actually been looking forward to this for several weeks now. I'm very excited to talk to her about what it looks like to love the stranger in our midst. Latasha, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today down in hot, warm Atlanta? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. It was hot yesterday, but having lived in Texas, it's still not as hot as Texas.
0: <laughs> and, and you were you served in a ministry role there.
1: Yeah, I was in two churches while I was there. The first church, I was at a church that changed their name to Austin Oaks Church. And so I was over children's ministry there, children's and like family ministry there. And then when I went to Gateway Church, they have about four campuses now, four or five campuses. But at that time, they were just starting their third campus. And I was the director of operations for that new central campus with my buddy, Pastor Kenny, that was there. So yeah, it was good.
0: And you also served in ministry roles in Georgia when you moved. Yeah,
1: I was on staff at a predominantly African American church for Really, uh, I started out in a volunteer leadership position. I was working in corporate America, and that role eventually turned into a full-time role as the church grew. It was a church plant at that time. That church no longer exists anymore. It was one of the fastest growing African-American churches, but it's no longer in existence. And then I went from there to serving in another um, church plant, you know, a few miles up the road, and then moved to Texas. So I was there, and then I left church staff and I was doing a nonprofit organization. I was doing speaking, working, doing consultant work, you know, within the community and working with the organization called Gifted Foundation for a little bit. And, you know, so I've done a lot of different things.
0: <laughs> it sounds like you have had a tremendous amount of different experiences that have really prepared you for the role you're in now, which yeah. is, uh, is running your own, your own organization, your own, yeah. you have found
1: it. Yeah, because, you know, I think it's one of those things. Where I used to say this when I was in college, you know, I'm going to do my own nonprofit one day. But when you start working and stuff like this, you're like, this is a lot of work. I don't think I want to do that anymore. So I, I was at the point where it's like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> That's a lot of work, you know, and the very thing that I said I didn't want to do anymore. At one point it was, I felt like a part of something that I was supposed to do, but it's easier sometimes working for other people when you have to take it all on and it all relies on your shoulders, you know, staff, finances, all of those things. That's a lot to take on. And um, I think looking at that, you know, I was like, oh, I don't I don't think I want to do this, but I always call Be The Bridge my accidental Nonprofit because I didn't mean to start it. I was just really doing the work that I felt the Lord calling me to do within the context of the local church. And that turned into needing to have, you know, be the bridge, be a nonprofit organization.
0: Well, we're glad you have started this organization and that you're doing the work you're doing. I know we have as a community benefited from it. You know, we have multiple campuses at our church and we Uh, one of the campuses actually someone brought your uh, your study be the bridge book study to my attention because I oversee all the small groups and Uh wanted to do it at the campus and so I said absolutely sounds like an amazing study and through that I ended up encountering your work I got a chance to read your book actually I I did the audio version which you read oh wow (laughs) so I feel like I got to know you a little bit that's what
1: everyone says everyone says that about the audio they're like the audio feels like you're having a conversation with me. And I was it, like, I am having a conversation with you.
0: <laughs> it was so natural and it felt so, it just, you know, I listened to it in the car or whenever I was taking a walk and it just felt like you were right next to me or in the car with me. Wow. And I enjoyed That's that. It was. I don't always feel that way when I'm listening to someone read a book or even read their own book. I enjoyed that and my that's wife is good to
1: know and, and, and hopefully the next time I do it I'll do it the same way because that's the only way I know how to do it because that was my first time recording an audio book and I actually did it in studio um, in New York and it was grueling because it's two days like two full days like work days with I an bet. hour break and you're just reading you know of course you get some bathroom breaks but when I was hearing it, hearing people talk about it, I was like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. But now I understand why some people choose not to read their own book. But I would only I would only want to read my book. Like, I, I really wouldn't want someone else reading it. I love when I listen to a book and it's actually written by the author.
0: Well, and what struck me when I was listening to you read it is you weren't bored with your material and you weren't yeah. tired of it. I could tell you still so passionately believed in what you had written, And I think the tendency for some is, you know, you write something, you probably read it, you know, a dozen or two dozen times to edit it. And you've worked Uh with a publisher and you're probably sick and tired of, let's get this thing to press. Mm. And so when someone asks you to read that book again, you're kind of like, you know, I could imagine some people saying, uh, but I could tell that as you read your book, you were excited about it. You were excited about getting the message across. And that's what I yeah. felt that as you read yeah. it. So I just, I just want to encourage you with that. It was great. It was
1: almost about a year before, like, when you turn your final draft in, you know, until the time that you read your audio book. It's like almost a year, not quite a year. And so, you you know, you've had this break a little bit. Because you've turned your final draft in and you're trying to catch your breath. And so when you're reading it, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I did say that. That was good. <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. That is so awesome. What a great feeling to have. Like, wait a minute, did I say that? Yeah, <laughs> like so that good. was a good thought. Like, that was great. <laughs> you had some great thoughts in that book. You know, I imagine that some people probably listening to this podcast, um maybe haven't encountered your book before or your work uh, maybe they're not sure what the messages of your book I don't know maybe just you want to spend just a couple minutes and just share maybe a, a brief summary of what your book yeah. is about for the person who maybe hasn't come across it yet
1: yeah the book is for such a time as this and it's really this journey toward <laughs> Um, racial reconciliation. A lot of us like to hear that word, but we don't understand the process that we go through. And so what I do is I try to connect this process of reconciliation through my personal relational journey, encountering how do we reconcile relationships, but also connecting it to this bigger picture of what this could look like as it relates to systemic racism. And so I tell my personal story. I intertwine um, history. I think history is very important. And I think a lot of our barriers is because we don't have a common memory and a common history. And there's so much that's not taught that would give context for where we are today. And so I want to, wanted to make sure that I incorporate that in the book. And then I wanted to give some stories of encouragement and hope on this is, you know, how people who have been connected to be the bridge, this is how they're growing, this is how they're responding, this is how they're showing up, and really talk about that journey of, you know, the first group that was not a Be The Bridge group, it was just a group of women, you know, basically, you know, deciding to engage in this difficult, uncomfortable conversation. We didn't have a curriculum. We didn't have a discussion guide. We did have a format. We were using a lot of the restorative justice models because one of the ladies in our group, that's the work that her organization did was restorative justice in the school system and all of that. And so we were given a framework, but as it relates to a discussion guide, we were going off of what was in the news or articles or, you know, our stories, our personal stories. But one of the gifts that, you know, the women in that group gave was that of listener, uh, a listener. So those that were in the majority culture, those that were white in the group, they listened to people of color. And I realized like how that was such a gift. And then surprisingly, how they had never heard these stories or never experienced some of the things that we've experienced or the lens, um, you know, our lives are not universal and, and the lens in which we we view life and see life, totally different. And so they were given a window of that through us and they were so appreciative of it. And, you know, some of these women have gone on, they're growing. Um, I feel like we are all a work in progress that we never arrived. And so I feel like they are becoming, continuing to become New creations in this work of reconciliation.
0: I love the idea of we're on this journey of becoming the right. process of following Jesus and discovering who He's created us to be right. as men and women of all different ethnic backgrounds, intertwined into His image. And it is a journey. And for those who think they've arrived, they kind of I think they make they make me at least they make me nervous. I don't yes. know about you, but <laughs> they make me nervous when they think they've they arrived. And it's. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of sad to, to think that some people have that mindset because I think Jesus was constantly inviting the disciples to keep journeying. Even right. after the resurrection, he, re, he reappears to them and says, we got 40 more days here to keep talking about the right. kingdom of heaven. And, and it just goes to show we don't ever get to a place of full arrival. Your storytelling ability, the way you have intertwined both important pieces of history that is not intertwined into majority history, the way you tell your own personal experiences. You write in such a way that invites, I think, all to gather around the campfire, so to speak, to hear. Uh, And I can tell you're not just writing to a Black audience or a white audience. You include others from other races, Native American, Asian, Latino, and that's why I think I, I love your work so much because it is important to think about how each one of our groups have unique histories mm-hmm. and we're all in this together. And that's what right. you invite us to kind of try to understand. Yeah. One of the things that you write in the book that struck me, there's a few quotes I had written down because I just thought they were, they were so great and profound quote in the love of the family of God, and you go on to say, we have to recognize the image of God in one another. Yeah. For all ethnicities, all colors, right? We have to recognize the image of God in one another. We have to love. This is what you say. We have to love despite and even because of our differences. We have to recognize the image of God in one another. This is, this is where it starts, right? This is like the foundational place, the starting marker for us. hmm
1: mm-hmm. Because
0: if, if I'm having a conversation with you or you're having a conversation with me, if we can't recognize that and come to that place, we're already at a disservice to one another, right?
1: Right, right, right. And historically, that has not been the case because we wouldn't be here having to have these conversations if that had been the case, you know? And so it's just a reminder that when we say that, a lot of times we read the Bible but are we ingesting the Bible? We know the semantics. We, we know that we should love our neighbor, but we have this picture of who our neighbor is and what our neighbor should be. And we constantly sometimes think literally my neighbor when, <laughs> when yeah. you know, neighbor looks very different. Canada is our neighbor. Mexico is our neighbor. Like, you know, so when we start talking about just who is your neighbor and, and if we start looking at people through the lens of they are created through the image of God, that is God's creation. And the same journey that you've been on of, of, of human brokenness you know, and depravity, that's the, the same journey everyone else is on. But for the grace of God, that you're not maybe still there or in that mindset or living out that way. And so I think it's just a reminder for me that I constantly have to do, even as sometimes things that pain me and how people harm me. And that um, there's a um, Fannie Lou Hamer was an activist of the sixties for voting rights. And she was grew up as a, a, a sharecropper, but in her readings and in her words, and when you listen to her speeches, like she helped people, To this providence of God that, you know, I am an image bearer. And so basically what you're doing to me is you're doing to God and how she was, you know, put in prison and, and beaten by people who say they love God. And so I think there's this reckoning. We have to realize like How can you say you love your brother when you're mistreating your brother and sister? You know what I'm saying? Like something, that form of Christianity
0: is not Christianity. You know what I'm saying? It's it's truncated. It gets narrow. So I want to build on this for a minute because I really wanted to focus our conversation together on this idea of love. I think your book has so much wisdom about what it looks like to love. And maybe we even title our, our conversation today, learning to love with Latasha. I don't know. But <laughs> the book of Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, you know, a book that a lot of us do not read or even pay attention to, but it's I things know. that Jesus takes and he builds in the gospel. So we're familiar with it still, but this is what it says in Leviticus 19 verses 33 and 34. I want to read it to you. And then I want to have a conversation about what does love look like? Uh-huh. So Moses writes this, he says, when a stranger sojourns or journeys with you in your land a stranger right you shall not do him or her wrong you shall treat that stranger that foreigner the person who's not like us who sojourns with you in the land you shall treat that person as if they were a native among you like you said earlier you're you know your neighbor right next the the one who is easy to be your neighbor we should treat the stranger as if they were that person as well. Why? And you shall love that person as yourself for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. And I am the Lord, your God. So let's talk for a minute, like, who are these strangers in our midst? And how do they look different, perhaps for you or for me, like, Mm -hmm. in the different contexts that we're in? Who is the stranger? And then what does it look like to treat them as if they were a native in our midst? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I'm looking at situations that are not necessarily tied to me or that I'm necessarily impacted by. So there's, you know, situations where some work that um, I was just thinking about the the bomb that went off in Beirut, you know, yeah. um, that is very far from me. It's distant from me, but the God that I know and understand and how I understand the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom agenda, I know that there are, people who believe that are praying for their country there. And so I can align and have empathy with understanding what it would look like for me to suddenly lose a love, a member of my family because of a bomb. So I look at that through the lens of empathy, not as distant and as stranger, because I'm observing people through the lens of the kingdom of God that we are connected and we are part of the body of Christ, because I know that there, God is at work and moving in Lebanon, just like God is at work and moving here in the United States. So I don't think myself as better than someone else. So that helps when it comes to these things, when tragedy happens, you know, where it's distant from you, but you have the capacity to empathize versus to have apathy where it doesn't bother me. And if it doesn't involve anyone in my family, I'm not concerned with it. You know, I think that to me it's just one way when I think about the stranger. I just had to read uh, matthew twenty five you know we see that again, you know when you're talking about the stranger, like you know, Lord, Lord, when did I see you without a homeless, or when did I see that you were sick you know and and did not do and did not so God is just constantly reminded us. Of how we are to treat one another. We see this again in Acts 6 and 1 when it comes to the feeding of the widows, but then it's a reflection back to Isaiah 117 when the children of Israel weren't doing justice. They were going about their religious ceremonies, but weren't actually living out the orthopraxy of their orthodoxy. And so I think that for me, it's just this reminder i don't want to say the things that I'm not doing. I want to be real. This is real to me. God is real to me. you know, people are suffering in this world, and although they're not connected to me, I am called to care for that. you know, and that's what the church has been about, you know when you think about even how Schools came about, you know, when you think about Yale University, Princeton, and although they have a very rocky and broken history in some ways as it relates to how those schools were funded through uh, means of slavery, when we think about the church was doing this work of education, higher education. You see that in a lot of schools. We see that in hospitals, you know, where there's a lot of hospitals that are here that exist because of the work of the kingdom of God and us wanting to see healing for communities. And although Mm -hmm. we have brokenness and how and who we wanted that education and healing to benefit, now there's a way to make this wholeness And so we've always been about that work. And I feel like there's a call to get back to the work where you see the early church was leading in culture and systems and the world was trying to mimic because they were seeing the blessings of God. And so I think there's this opportunity for us to get back to that instead of us really following after culture to set a new culture, to set a new course, to do a new thing, you know. And I think, you know, this is a time that's calling for fresh wineskins, you know, mm-hmm. um, where we're not falling behind the systems of this world, but we are imitating Jesus and being counterculture and doing the things that are, that's not popular and sometimes being doing the things that were illegal. Jesus did a lot of illegal things, but he did it for the purpose for the kingdom of heaven. And I can go on and on.
0: <laughs> Man, you said so. I just want to highlight a couple of things you have said here. Actually, four. One, you talked about one of the things we need to do a good job of is not thinking that we are better than the other person. I think you said that earlier. And I would also say the other side of that, I think sometimes based on our own perhaps personal history, we might think we're worse than that person. And so we have this terrible image of ourselves. That needs to be lifted up. So there's there's this also, I'm not better than you because of uh, who I am, my education, or my skin color, wow. or my ethnicity. And I'm also not worse, but rather we discover ourselves of who God has created us to be. That's the journey. So I yeah. love that you, you brought that out as you were talking about the tragedy in Beirut. And then you, you said, I love this line, the orthopraxy has to meet the orthodoxy. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah it needs yeah. to, right?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, our, our doctrine and what we believe Needs to align with our actions,
0: you know. Yeah. And, yeah, and you had mentioned earlier when you were talking about the past history, and I forgot her name, but the activist who you referenced earlier, Fannie Lou Hammer, you talked about Fannie Lou Hammer and the, the issues she had to deal with. It was at the hands of Christians who, yeah. it didn't seem like their orthopraxy aligned with their orthodoxy. Yeah. And part of it, I wonder, is how much we fail as a church as a whole perhaps to teach the whole bible how right often are we encouraging people like look it's not just about loving the people who are easy to love same color as you same background as you they look like you they eat like you they smell like you etc yeah. but rather this is about learning how to love like you said at the very end there those who Jesus was loving and breaking the law sometimes to love. Like, you know, we just, I just think off the top of my head, like the Samaritans, the tax collectors. yeah. And so I guess as I'm thinking no about many examples. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. I mean, more examples than, than I think I uh, yeah. personally have experienced. And I think yeah. that's the model. So what would you say, Latasha, for a discipleship community, a small group of some sort that is trying to they really they really they get really serious about this. And you know, you know what? I want to try to build a group that's really open, inclusive, that seeks to love the stranger in the midst, like Jesus did. What would you encourage them to do? How do you go about doing this as a small group?
1: Yeah. I would say as a small group is we want to seek truth first and understanding what truth is. You yeah, know? so
0: talk about that. What does that
1: mean? Uh, Truth is very important to the work of the kingdom. You know, Jesus says, I am the truth in the life. You know what I'm saying? Like understanding that truth is imperative because we've been presented with a lot of false negatives in that sense, you know. There were other people that said that they were the coming Messiah, you know. You know, think about the conspiracy and the untruth that surrounds the death and birth of Jesus that, you know, that we have to come back today, you know. So truth is imperative, you know. The truth makes us free, it sets us free, you know. And so I think with that is when we talk about truth, seeking the places where there are discrepancies in our life as it relates to the Bible, as it relates to history. You know, um, a lot of history that is taught is revisionist history. I mean, just even recent history, you know, there's certain things that has been shifted and changed and we need to be presented with the whole truth. And, you know, there's this dilemma in us when if I talk about Oliver, I'm talking about, there's some great things that Oliver has done, but there's there's also some broken things that Oliver has done. And there's some people that maybe Oliver has harmed. There's people that I have harmed. But when you talk about the history of who I am, You know, we have to talk about all of those things, the full truth. I think we learn from our missteps when we see the journey that people have grown spiritually, like I was this way and, you know, this is my testimony now. A part of their history is in their redemption. Their restoration story is key, right? But then sometimes we don't have that redemption story, that restoration story, but we have to talk about that because we're supposed to learn from that. So I say, you know, with the small group, is we want to engage in truth and seek truth. We want to engage in making sure that that we're engaging diversely, um, you know, that we're not just listening and learning from people who look like us, but we are listening and learning from people who are different from us, you know, um, that we are not just reading books of people who look just like us, but we are reading and growing um, from people who look different from us. And so I think that's really key, you know, so I'm really... Very cautious now that you know, because of our religious practice, that I'm not just learning from Western Christian theologians, but I'm learning also from theologians that are from um, the continent of Africa, that I'm learning from theologians from Brazil, that I'm learning from theologians that are from different parts of the world. Because if not, we have a skewed view of who God is. Because when we start talking about the global church, you know, when we start talking about Asian Americans is on the rise, the African. Female woman is on the rise. I want to listen to those voices and not just be bottlenecked into this small box of thinking through the lens of Western
0: Christianity. We see in the, in the gospels, people get into trouble when their boxes are too small for yeah. God. And I think right. Jesus confronted that over and over again. And people said, but that way or that Loving person that way doesn't fit inside of the grid that I've been given. Yeah, yeah. And I think Jesus was constantly saying, that grid's too small. I'm actually here to help you see the grids bigger. And I love what you're saying about that. I think as I think about the small group, I'm just thinking right now, in my own context, our church is predominantly white. So many of our small groups are predominantly white. And I think about them and I think, okay, well, how can we mix it up? The white guy, pastor, can write another study for them. To discuss, but how great would it be? And I hear you challenging us on this. How great would it be to be more expansive, to perhaps right. read a book from a wonderful African American yeah. written "Be the Bridge," right? <laughs> but, <laughs> right, yeah, right. But something like that. And uh, yeah, I think that's wise. So you're challenging us to develop eyes that can see the stranger. Yeah, and if we don't have strangers in our immediate small group or even in our larger church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We need to somehow get eyes that can see them in the neighborhoods yes in the schools yes in the communities the the surrounding suburbs that we live in because the reality is is they are diverse in most parts of america and to do that it would be helpful perhaps to read books that are are studies written by people who are just different from ourselves. Yeah. And to get
1: uncomfortable because sometimes we like the comfort of being around people who think like us, they laugh at the same jokes, you know, all those things, but we're not you know, where we're not having to push against, you know, cultural differences. I mean, we see that in the Tower of, of Babel, you know, like where, you know, they were commanded to scatter, you know, there's something to that. And so I think, you know, even as a church, as you congregate and there's this scattering that needs to take place outside of Sundays, outside of small groups where, you know, you're learning and growing from various people, you know, and not so much as Yes. your Mission. Yes. You know, your Judea, your Samaria, the uttermost parts. And so that you doing that. And right now we can do that even through Zoom. Like right now, you know, a lot of churches, my church is not meeting right now. And so I can do that by clicking on and going to different churches. There's this church in Brazil that I like. I don't know what he's saying, but I like to. I like to listen to him and I hit the translate button. You know, I heard him speak through a translator years ago. At at a justice conference. And I just loved and I I feel like I can get something from that. You know, there's a pastor in Rwanda that I listen to. And even more, I'm trying to grow more in that, you know, not just so much as internationally, but also, you know, what is God doing like in Korea? Like, you know, you can click on and go to a service in Korea right now and and see that God is moving, and that helps get you out of this bottleneck. Box thought that think that you are the apple of god's eye when you know what you're not that god wouldn't be who he says he is if america is the apple of god's eye like you know and so stuff like this you're ruining
0: you're ruining my day latasha
1: (laughs) but yeah but i'm just
0: kidding i'm just kidding
1: you know, of course, you know, we want to say yeah. you know, we love to see Jesus loves all the children of the yeah, world. Yeah. Do we really believe that. You know what I'm saying? Do we really believe that? And then if yeah. we believe it, how do we show it? Yeah. And not so so much in a way of us doing missions work, but how are we learning? Who are we learning from? You know, what? who are our mentors? What do our mentors look like? I think that's something when we say it, we should should actually activate it. And, these, and when I say becoming, these are not all concepts that I have like in order, but these are things that I'm growing yeah. and learning to do and some of the, the reconstruction um, that I'm
0: doing in my own personal life. I love that. And one of the things you said in the very beginning of that was the hardest thing for us sometimes is the uncomfortable piece yeah. of doing this, of branching out, of... I can think of so many things that are uncomfortable for Christians that have been kind of ingrown in their way of doing traditional elements. Right. from Worship to loving the stranger to X, Y, or Z. And so I think about how that uncomfortable piece is difficult for us. And sometimes it is uncomfortable to love or to express love to someone who is different than us. Maybe they're older than us. Maybe they're a lot younger than us. Maybe they look a lot different than us. Maybe they're from a different part of the world. Maybe their native tongue is different than mine. And maybe even they've hurt me in the past because mm. of something. Or their ancestors have hurt my ancestors. And so there's that harbored animosity or frustration that underlies inside of my own self. So I'm curious, Latasha, I'm going to ask you. I feel like I, I know you enough now to maybe ask you this of a person question, you know, Who has perhaps been the hardest person for you to love? Who has been a difficult person for you to love in the journey of loving the stranger, the enemy, the one who's not like us?
1: Yeah. I think about this all often, you know, I have to really examine my heart in this work of justice where understanding who the enemy is and understanding who has been used by the enemy and, and understanding how to respond to that, where, um, I'm not going to sacrifice my emotional health when people are refusing to hear or to see anything, but I think some of that has been where people who um, who don't see or understand systemic racism or believe that racism are people who think that they are more superior to to me because i am african-american well those people are very difficult to love but then understanding i can love you at a distance that i don't have to subject myself to the harm but i can love a person and pray for a person and say i pray that their eyes are open and i look at this you know and how Jesus did, you know, as, as far as when you're presenting the gospel is that, you know, you're going to meet people that are difficult and hard. And sometimes you have to kind of like shake the dust off your, your your sandals and keep it moving. And it doesn't say that I don't care. And it doesn't say that I don't love you. But right now, I'm not going to be the person that's going to help open your eyes. And I'll pray for others, someone else to come along. But I'm gonna have to leave you in your spiritual blindness right now. Um, yeah. Because there's others that want to hear there's others that want to move and go there's others that want to grow understanding that you know even when it came to Jesus he did not convince all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and yeah. these were religious people these were his people that should have known and recognized and, and heard and so even understanding that that I know that there will be a remnant and sometimes that remnant is small but our faith God has always operated in yeah. remnants and not
0: majority. Talk more about a little bit about that. Like, just think about the, the moment you have, you know, maybe someone has angered you and there's this feeling of resentment. How have you in your life moved from those places of anger or frustration, uh, resentment, perhaps into a place of being able to forgive? And forgive doesn't necessarily mean you become buddy-buddy. Yeah. Um, you have to shake the dust off. We know that there might be a boundary yeah. that needs to be established, but how do you move into a place, a spirit of forgiveness where you're able to see that person a little differently?
1: Yeah, I think that thing, as long as it's not demanded upon me, I think sometimes in our society, we can demand forgiveness. Like, I see things happening where, um, you know, like, what was the, I was watching where someone, their child was murdered. And, and you know, yeah. and the first question out is, like, can you um, forgive those who, you know, I'm like, why are it's you not, even asking me that? Yeah, That's not- like. Yeah. That that's not helpful right now. You yeah. know, if someone was raped would, is that the first question you're going to ask them? You know, yeah. healing is a process. Forgiveness is a process. So I think understanding that there's a journey that we go on as it relates to forgiveness, that is key. But I think there's also what helps us in our ability to forgive is that also our ability for those who have caused harm to confess and to Acknowledge that harm, you know? Um, but sometimes you have to do that without. So forgiveness, you know, is for yourself, it's, it's for your own personal heart, but it may not lend to reconciliation, especially if the other party has not, you know, owned their part of repair. And so for me, you know, um, as I relate to um, forgiveness, I kind of tell the story of my family, you know, my mom, and not wanting to try to fix things, but understanding and accepting her but she's not causing continuous harm you know because you think of where people you forgive people and you think about abusive relationship where they forgive but then this person still causes harm so you have to think is that healthy for the person is it all about this forgiveness or is it really about this person needing to move on with their life and that person dealing with the issues of why they're causing that harm? And so yeah. so I look at this forgiveness through different lens, but for me, some of the things that I'm learning is to pray about those things and those people to really Which can be um,
0: hard to which can be hard to do, I
1: imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it could be really hard. It could be really hard. But I think if I'm looking at like, sometimes I can have this sorrowful feeling like, God, like they're missing it. Like my heart goes out like that. You can be that confused and that blind when it's right Mm -hmm. here before you. You know so that being able to have that type of sorrow where because you, you want all people to see, you want everyone to get it, you want everyone to to be free and to live free, and so it helps me in that sense to when I pray for people, it helps me to forgive people
0: The process component I think is so important, and i 'm sure people listening right now have have had to get to a place of forgiving someone for something. I think ministry is a place where. You know, forgiveness is something we are invited to participate in and it is a process. You write this and I and I want to read it because I think you write so so well here. Bridge builders don't deny the hurt, right? Because you will experience hurt if you're building a bridge. Yeah. You will. And then you continue to write, they experience it, they sit in it, they feel it, but they don't stay in that pain. They don't allow those who've wounded them to control them or constantly drive them back to anger and resentment. Instead, they allow the pain to continually push them toward forgiveness such right. powerful words there and um i think that captures in essence a lot of what you were just saying and encouraging yeah. us to do yeah so thank yeah. you for writing that
1: and then i would i would say this i yeah. love that we're all on this journey like for me where i am and my spiritual growth and maturity allows me to write that <laughs> you yeah. know but where some people are, they're not there. And, and for us to understand where when I do see anger, you know, there's this righteous anger that people can have. And it's okay because being able to grieve and to mourn and to lament and to have great sorrow yeah. sets a pathway for us to have deep healing.
0: And Absolutely.
1: So, and so some of that is good and healthy.
0: So taking this concept of deep healing and forgiveness, and, you, and you, your vision for the church is compelling. You have a vision of unity. You know, can you talk a little bit of what you think God's vision looks like for unity amongst Big C Church, about for all of us, and then how does forgiveness and, and need to play a role in perhaps unifying Big Church C? When we talk about Big Big C Church,
1: I think this unity, sometimes we mistake unity for sameness. And to me, the beauty of the gospel is the diversity. In the yeah. gospel and accepting that. But sometimes we want, like we said, we want people to think like us, look like us, all of those things. And sometimes we have to be challenged to grow as we've seen in scripture, as people have shown up, you know, you think about the controversy with Paul and Barnabas, you know, you think about the feeding of the widows, you think about Peter, like just all these different things that we see in scripture and the challenges and the tension of that and pushing through that. But I think, as we seek justice and righteousness, that will help us to unify because we can't unify under falsehood. we have to be unified under what does justice and righteousness look like and so even if you're not we haven't gotten it right or you know if we're trying, if we're we're really um, extending ourselves, then it helps us in that so I really see. Unity is a diverse thing where we're not trying to walk like the world. We are ambassadors of Christ. And I think it's imperative that the church be a different system. It's not a world system. We are not empire. And a lot of ways what we've done is try to make the church empire and the church is not an empire. It is the kingdom of God, the upside down kingdom of God. And it's totally different. And we're trying to put world systems within the kingdom of God. And we're trying to read scripture through those world systems versus the heart and the
0: content of who Jesus is. Can you give us some more practical examples like that? Like, I'm thinking about right now, we live in a time right now in America where racial tension has been magnified in a very necessary way, unfortunately, again, because it keeps happening, but we need to pay attention to it. What would you challenge Christians right now from a variety of different backgrounds, to do in response to some of these things that are problematic in in the systems of the world that we are seeing? How can we, how can I be the hands and feet right now of Jesus, perhaps my Latino brothers and sisters, my African-American brothers and sisters, my Asian brothers and sisters, whomever it might be? Um, And how, how would you challenge us and inspire and encourage us to be Jesus's presence right now to each other?
1: Wherever Jesus was, he listened to people. And so I think one of the key things in this active, in this very, there's action. A lot of times we don't relate action to listening, but listening is a verb. And I think that's important, especially if you're trying to figure things out and you don't understand, or you know that you're missing some information. If you've lived in isolated box, it's important to listen, you know? And then, you know, I think that next thing is I have these L's that I use is Learn. And so, what are we learning? What do we need to learn, and what do we need to unlearn? So, and who do I need to learn from? I think that's key, you know. So, like right now, I just bought a book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I'm learning from um, a theologian called Willie Jenin. There's some things that I need to unlearn in the sense of making sure that I'm not looking through this lens of exceptionalism and that I'm not looking through this this lens of supremacy or superiority where I'm thinking that I am better than someone else, you know? I made sure, I took a group of people to Rwanda last year and we called it a learning exchange because there's just as much as we are learning from Other people than they are learning from us. And just thinking about, you know, this sometimes in this world order that where people, because you they feel like you have money or because you have education, they automatically feel that you're better than them. You know, there's this inferior mindset. And where that's not true, you know, and so to really counter that and, and when I see it and, and, and really uplift people and say, no, there's just as much like that I can learn from you. These are the things, things that I'm learning from you to really combat this mindset, because I think we, we have to remember as believers that at the foot of the cross, the finishing work that Jesus did, that was the great equalizer. You know, just remembering that for myself is important because we can get caught up. You know, we all can get caught up. I've been caught up in that. And so remembering that even if when I go into a room and I talk and I'm doing a training, that just because there's certain things that I understand about this work, that I'm still no better than anyone else. That's a posture of humility. And so I have to remind myself daily also to walk in this posture of humility as I lead my team. I have to remain teachable. I have to hear them. I have to see them. I have to know them. I have to understand them. And so there's this thing of humility. So this is a daily work. That's when I say this is a lifestyle. It's not that we don't arrive in this. Um, These are things that I have to remind myself of consistently.
0: That's good. So I'm going to be an active listener here, trying to hear what you've said. You have encouraged us to be listeners. That is absolutely vital for all of us right now if we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to branch out and embrace the diversity of the kingdom of heaven which we know in Revelation 7 we will all be there every tribe tribe raising the lamb you've challenged us also to be learners and that is intricately tied to the listening component you can't learn unless you're listening right right and to take that posture that you ended with of humility of yeah, I have something to learn from you. I and, do.
1: and that posture of humility allows us to empathize and it allows us to lament. And, you know, this is something that specifically that I want to see majority white churches do more of. It's like, you know, the theology of suffering and lament, that's something that the tradition of the Black church that they have had to do to engage their faith to live through the sufferings that have been brought on by this world. But this lament, um, being able to petition God, um, to have deep sorrow, because sometimes we don't know what to do. We see it and we want to check out or we feel embarrassed or we feel shamed or whatever. But what God is calling us to this, the deep lament that causes us to shift and to change. And we see this in scripture, not just through the book of Lamentations, but we see this, you know, with Nehemiah and Ezra. We see this with the prophets. We see this with in the Psalms. Yeah. I mean, half of the Psalms are about lament. And sometimes we're like, what in the world? Like, <laughs> but it's, it's a way for us to connect with God and to hear from God and to see God. And that's yeah. what
0: I would love to see the church do to Listen, learn, and lament. You know, in the Psalms, there's these things called corporate laments. Yeah. We did a series yeah. a couple of years ago on the book of Psalms. And yeah. I remember distinctly a Sunday I was tasked to preach on lament, corporate lament. Yeah. And what we did that Sunday was I decided I wanted to help everybody pay attention to what is going on in the world, both America yeah. and the world. And this was 2018. So there was clearly racial tension and issues happening. There was starving children in Yemen who were being bombed. And, and it was a mess in the world as it is still today, as it has been, because we are broken humanity. But what we did was it was so beautiful. We actually, in the church service, I stopped the message early and I had everybody go to different corners of the sanctuary to gather together for out loud corporate lament over the atrocity that that corner represented. And we had images and pictures and statistics. But I think you were so spot on with that. We need to make that a regular rhythm and, practice right. Right. and have right. that as part of what we do, because I think as we join into corporate lament. Your pain and suffering somehow can become something I can empathize with. I might not fully understand it, but I can empathize with it and join you
1: in that journey. It helps us have this collective culture in the sense where we're connected that if you know one part of the body is suffering, we all suffer with it. If we're rejoicing, we rejoice you know, it's like there's this connection of brother and sister, like where those things are imperative in this and where sometimes our society can cause us to be very individualistic thinkers where our rights and our concerns take the center stage when in the kingdom of God is not about ourselves being the center stage, it's about others where what impacts one impacts the other. And we see that throughout scripture where, you know, what impacts one impacts the other. And so I think that's just imperative of a new way of thinking.
0: Yeah. Well, Latasha, thank you for yeah. being so generous with your time. I'm leaving encouraged. I'm leaving inspired to try to continue loving the strangers out there. I think I want to, to listen as well as I can. I mean, what an important thing we all need to be reminded of, the active Job and verb of listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, taking that posture. It goes a
1: long ways. It goes a long yeah. way. And, you know, what I would encourage the listeners to do is you will not arrive here overnight. This will take a lot of work. We're going to have missteps. We have to have grace for one another and just as much grace as you want to receive that you have to also give. Yeah. And just to try to sit and understand one another the best we can. And so we're not going to get it right all the time. But what we do is we mess up, we pick ourselves back up, and we get back in it. We don't give yeah. up.
0: Well, on behalf of the small groups community and uh, all those who are listening and who I'm sure have really thoroughly enjoyed uh, just listening to this conversation, we just are grateful for you. I feel like, can I call you Tasha? I know something. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> God has clearly planted some leadership gifts in you, some communication gifts in you, and it is It is neat to see how you are leveraging those and how God is going to continue making tremendous kingdom impact through you. So blessings on you, my sister, in what you're doing. And I really look forward to the next time that our paths do cross.
1: Yes, thank you so much. It was great.
0: This episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast has been brought to you by smallgroups.com. Again, I'm Oliver, your host, and we are so thankful for all the ministry leaders who are tuning into this episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please rate us on iTunes and give us a five-star rating? You can also subscribe to smallgroups.com for access to Bible studies, training tools, and helpful articles to equip your small group ministries to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You can also check out Latasha's book, being the bridge pursuing God's heart for racial reconciliation. You can find that on the web. And until next time, my friends, God bless.